Go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. That's, uh, that's, you can find it on page 295 in the prayer books. Those are those red books in the pews in front of you with the Jerusalem cross on the front. And we'll be looking there at the passage as we find it in the King James Version. We're continuing our sermon series through the appointed psalms during Lent. And as we have come to see, each psalm gives us a gift for our Lenten pilgrimage to the cross and the tomb of Jesus. Last week, Psalm 95 gave us the gift of true rest, which, as we saw, is really the gift of God himself. He is the one who brings such rest. And now this week, we come to Psalm 23, and in many ways, we are given the same gift, just from a different angle. Today, from Psalm 23, we receive the gift of a shepherd, who guides us along our pilgrimage. We receive the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is easily the most beloved psalm, is it not? I'm sure if I were to ask each person here, each one of us probably has a story where Psalm 23, or the image of the good shepherd, played some significant role in the way that God ministered to your heart at some point in time. The psalm's depiction of God's love and care has captured the hearts and the imaginations of Christians from the very beginning. When the Christian catacombs were being discovered in the mid-19th century, they were being studied. One historian noticed that the catacombs had a character all their own that separated them from Roman Catholic and Protestant cemeteries. Quote, this is what he said. Their most characteristic symbols and pictures are of the good shepherd, the fish, and the vine. These symbols almost wholly disappeared after the 4th century, but to the mind of the early Christians, they vividly expressed in childlike simplicity what is essential to Christians of all creeds, the idea of Christ and his salvation as the only comfort in life and death. The shepherd suggested the recovery of the lost sheep the tender care and protection, the green pasture and fresh fountain, the sacrifice of life, in a word, the whole picture of our Savior. And indeed, this is what Psalm 23 gives us today. It gives us our Savior. It gives us Jesus, our good shepherd, who is our comfort in life and death. And so with the church of old, let us receive this psalm and the gift that it gives us, the gift of the Lord, my shepherd. But before we turn to Psalm 23 and dive in, I want to address up front a possible way we could easily misread this psalm within our culture and fail to receive its gift. In our culture, safety, whether physical or emotional, has arisen in the last decade or so as a central cultural value that supersedes all others. And on the surface, safety sounds like a pretty good value to have, and it is. I mean, it's good to keep your family safe. It's good to, it's good to have that value. However, it's increasingly taken to extremes. This has led some to pinpoint the presence of what is called safetyism, what they identify as safetyism. And they define that as this, that safetyism refers to a culture or a belief system in which safety has become a sacred value, where safety trumps everything else, no matter how unlikely or trivial the potential danger. Why, why bring this up? 
Why ruin the psalm, Benji, and bring this up? Well, because if you read Psalm 23 with safety as a sacred value, if you read it through that lens where safety trumps everything else, then you will not be able to receive the gift of the good shepherd. Because you will not hear or heed his voice. You will hear and heed the shriveled and anemic voice of the safe shepherd. The safe shepherd would never allow you to face danger, suffering, or pain, whether real or potential, physical or emotional. The safe shepherd would never lead you down a path that may challenge you, often maybe even daily, to self-sacrifice, painful self-sacrifice. Because the safe shepherd would never lead you from the safety of the sheepfold. And that may sound preferable to the valley of the shadow of death. But then you would never be led to green pastures and still waters. The good shepherd, however, as revealed in Psalm 23, does not remove from our lives every potential danger or suffering, threat or pain, challenge or difficulty. Rather, he promises to be with us in the midst of them all and to guide us through them to his glory and our good. That's the promise of the good shepherd, of one who will actually shepherd us through the difficulties of life. In our culture, safety, whether physical or emotional, has become an idol. And the pandemic, I think, clearly revealed its presence and grip. But evidence of its worship is everywhere from parenting to college campuses to even churches, where little idols are being erected to emotional or spiritual safety. And those little idols promise to shield us from the threat of God's word. That as the author of Hebrews says, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, so much so that the author continues in Hebrews, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom they must give an account. That doesn't sound very safe. It's not always easy to hear the voice of the good shepherd. It's not always easy to hear his word, no matter how gentle his call. Because he will lead us into situations and moments that we would rather just avoid out of fear. Fear that we may be harmed in some way. Fear that our sin may be exposed to the light of God's word. Fear that we don't have what it takes to carry on within ourselves. Please hear me this morning. Don't allow these fears to close your ears to the voice of the good shepherd. And at the same time, open them up to the voice of the safe shepherd. Listen to the call of Jesus this morning through his word and respond to him. The safe shepherd may promise that you can avoid all dangers and threats, sufferings and pains, but such a promise is unrealistic. And we all know that deep down, no matter how much we may want to follow that voice. His promise is unrealistic and hollow and will lead to death. Yet the good shepherd promises to be with you in the midst of all dangers and threats, 
sufferings and pains, difficulties and challenges, and his companionship, his presence, transforms each circumstance, each situation. It does not mean that there are no deathly valleys, no enemies, no struggles, no darkness along our pilgrimage. David in Psalm 23 knows all too well that that evil is present in the world, even within his own heart. But such evil is not feared. It's faced with the good shepherd at our side. It's faced with confidence in God who is there to provide all that we need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want in the face of any difficulty. David knew that God's presence with him as his shepherd came with certain promises that would carry him through life. And he knew these promises to be true because he experienced them firsthand. In so many ways, this psalm is is David's spiritual autobiography. It's a poem. It's It's a poem that explains his relationship with God. And David gives us through this psalm, Psalm 23, at least five promises that are true when Jesus is our good shepherd. And we'll go through these quickly. But mark them down and then come back to this psalm and meditate upon them this week. First, when Jesus is our good shepherd, he gives us rest. We saw that more deeply last week. He gives us rest. Look at verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. The translators of the King James Version were not shepherds, and it shows here. Because sheep cannot be made to lie down. There are certain things that have to happen for them to feel safe enough to lie down. Sheep will only lie down when they have plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, and they are not threatened by external predators or even bugs that may be biting them. Everything must be good for them to lie down. In fact, the language of verse 2 is probably better translated here. He settles me down. He settles me down in green pastures. He settles us down. He gives us rest. And that's a remarkable statement coming from David, whose life was so often defined by unsettledness, restlessness, Yet in the midst of life's storms, David knew that rest, refreshment, and peace could only be found in God, his good shepherd. Murder, incest, betrayal, adultery, treachery, civil war, the murder of a son, all of these characterized his life. Yet David knew that in each of them, he could find in God still water green pastures, rest in the midst of a turbulent life. And like David, you can rest in the arms of the good shepherd. I mean, look at that image. You can rest in the arms of the good shepherd, patiently trusting that he can settle you down, providing exactly what you need to face each day, no matter what you may encounter. When Ashley and I were first learning about Thea's congenital heart issue hours after her birth, and during our time at Duke, we felt God 
settling us down. Ashley describes it as she felt a sense of being carried along. And that's exactly what you can find when God is your good shepherd. Those situations, when you think about it, are beyond like what you may think you are able to, to withstand or bear. But when God leads you through, he settles you down. He allows you, even in the midst of something that's so unsettling, to rest. That's the promise that David offers us here. That God is our good shepherd. Jesus, our good shepherd, he will carry us through whatever we face in such a way that settles us down and allows us to rest in him. The second promise that we're given is that when Jesus is our good shepherd, he rescues us when we're lost. That's verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The translation, he restoreth my soul, is beautiful, but it obscures the concrete image here, which is the image of the lost sheep, whom the shepherd has gone after and brought back to the right path which leads home. Verse 3 can literally be translated, my soul or my whole person, body and soul, my whole person, he brings back. He returns to the right path for his namesake. The shepherd's pursuit of the lost sheep is costly and demanding. A price must be paid to restore the lost sheep to the flock. And what a price our good shepherd paid for us to restore us to his father's flock. He gave up his own life so that you might be found, so that you might be reconciled to your father, your creator, your maker. There are times when we, are lost, when we lose our way, when we'd rather avoid rescue because we don't want to be exposed. We've all been there. We fear more in those moments the momentary discomfort of the shepherd's staff that would pull us to true safety than the barrenness of the wilderness path we've chosen apart from God. So claim the promise of rescue and heed the voice of of the good shepherd. The third promise is that when Jesus is our good shepherd, he comforts us when we face darkness and death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Valleys of the shadow of death were well known in in the Judean wilderness, these are paths which wind in between mountains or their wadis that have been washed away by floodwaters. Where you have dark shadows and deep gorges, travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by potential bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble, they expect trouble or death at any time while they're passing through such valleys. So we might ask then, 
Why in the world would our good shepherd lead us down such a path? Where so many dangers lurk. Well, the simple answer is that the valley of the shadow of death, that a sin-twisted world has cut, is a section of the path that we simply just cannot avoid. I wish it was more nuanced than that, but it's not. It's that simple. We simply cannot avoid it. It must be traveled. There is no bypass. There is no magical escape route. Scotty is not there to beam you up and out. The only way is through the valley. On the other side, though, are green pastures, still waters, and a dwelling place. The key to our passage here through the deathly valley is the one who is with us. And that's the emphasis there of verse 4. He comforts us because he protects and guides us through it. He is armed with his rod, which is an offensive weapon which would have been about two and a half feet long, almost like a mace or a cudgel that iron would have been driven into the top of. This is no weeny little piece of stick or wood. This is a significant weapon. This is what David in the next chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 17 describes when he was beating to death a lion. Okay, this is a significant thing. Our good shepherd is armed with, this, with his rod his offensive weapon that he uses to defend the flock against predators and thieves. Our good shepherd is able to protect us from the predatory and thieving grip of sin and death. And with his staff, he guides us along the right path through the dark valley. This does not mean that we will not suffer the spiritual, emotional, physical, or relational ravages of a sin-twisted world. It doesn't mean that we will not die but rather it means that our path will not end in such suffering. It will not end in death. The path doesn't come to the valley and just stop. The good shepherd leads us through. Our good shepherd is able to comfort us as he leads us through to our true home where he sets for us a banquet table of the best food and the best wine. And that leads us to our fourth promise there in verse 5. where Je When Jesus is our good shepherd, he honors us with a place at his table. He honors us with a place at his table. Thou preparest for me a table in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The image of preparing a table here is not one of putting plates out. That's not what it means in the ancient world. This is the image of preparing a costly feast, like a wedding banquet, and setting the food out on the table for all those who have been invited to enjoy to the fullest extent. And it's said that God does this in the presence of mine enemies. Well, what in the world does that mean? Jesus, our good shepherd, demonstrates his costly love for us, irrespective of who's watching. He doesn't, he doesn't care who's watching. 
People hostile to us will watch what he's doing, and he knows that their hostility against us will be extended to him as well. He doesn't care. He loves us anyway. Isn't this what he does to Zacchaeus? I must go to your house today and eat at your table. In the presence of all your enemies, who, what do they say in the text there in Luke? Why would he go and eat with such a man? This is exactly what the father does in the prodigal, in the parable of the prodigal son. He doesn't just throw the son a feast because he deserves it. He throws him a feast. Because of how costly reconciliation is. And he does it in the presence of his enemies. His brother and all those in that town who would have rightly beat him down if he had returned under any other circumstance than the father's reconciling love. This is the table that Psalm 23 ultimately points to. Here Jesus, our good shepherd, demonstrates his costly love He prepared this table, this meal, by his sacrificial death in the face of our enemies on the cross so that he might have a seat, so that we might have a seat of honor here. And by that same death, he ensured that our lives would forever be satisfied with his blessing that comes from his overflowing chalice of grace. What a beautiful promise. That leads us to our last one. The promise that when Jesus is our good shepherd, his goodness and mercy ensure we make it to our true home. If you'll notice, the entire psalm really is the life and the day of a shepherd and his flock. From going out seeking green pastures till their return again back to the home sheepfold. When Jesus is our good shepherd, his goodness and mercy, that is his hesed love, ensure we make it to our true home. God's goodness and loving kindness, that's his hesed love, following us all the days of our lives comes from the image of the shepherd who moves from the front of the flock leading it to the rear guard once they get close to home near night. That moment of the day where predators are most active and the sheep already are at the point where they know their way home now. He moves to the back to protect them from attack. His goodness and his loving kindness follow you. Protecting you. Ensuring that you will make your way home to the Father's house, so that you might dwell there. Here's the promise. We can live our lives with all of its fears and dangers, with the confident awareness that our good shepherd is following behind to support us with his goodness, while at the same time freely and abundantly extending to us his grace. His loving kindness that we do not deserve. He does all this to ensure that we will reach our true home so that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that we might rest forever. Experience his rescue forever. 
Know his comfort forever and sit in honor at the banquet table of God's kingdom forever. Today, the Psalm 95 said, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, hear the voice of the good shepherd and heed it and receive life in its fullness. Rest, rescue, comfort, and a belonging and a home. And don't turn away to heed the voice of the safe shepherd who can only offer you a path of avoidance that ultimately leads to death. So with Moses, choose life and not death. Choose the good shepherd and not the safe shepherd. And do so by the grace of God given to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.